Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am an associate professor at the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy, and I am recording to you from my office here in Mountain Home, Tennessee. Onco Farm is brought to you by the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy, and today I'm going to talk about Olertamab, which um, is a drug that was approved back in 2016, October 19th, uh, and recently. Um, I had some bad news. So, uh, let's just get right into it. So, uh, October 19th, 2016, uh, Aleritimab was FDA approved for soft tissue sarcoma that's not resectable or was metastatic. Quote, FDA granted fast track and breakthrough therapy designation, priority review status, and accelerated approval for this indication. As a condition of the accelerated approval, Eli Lilly and company is required to conduct a randomized controlled trial to verify and further describe the clinical benefit of Olera, as I'll abbreviate it now. So let's fast forward uh, two plus years later to January 18th of this year, 2019. Uh, not from an FDA, not from a publication, but from an Eli Lilly and company press release uh, describing the results of the ANNOUNCE study, which was that phase three confirmatory study that the FDA required and announced, quote, did not confirm the clinical benefit. Uh, and we know that there was no overall survival benefit in the whole population in the Alera group. Uh, there was no overall survival population in a specific subtype of soft tissue sarcoma, the lyomyosarcoma uh, population. Uh, and the results, they say, will be presented at a meeting and published in a medical journal. Um, then the rest of the press release talks about what they expect this to do, this bad news, to do to the earnings and stock price of Eli, Eli Lilly. Because, as I said, in the phase two approval, or the early approval, based off phase two data, um, that there would be uh, the need to confirm this in a phase three study. The phase three study was not confirmatory, so <clears throat> people would expect this drug to be removed from the market. Which brings up a whole lot of questions about, well, what if someone's already on it? What do we keep doing? Uh, and my guess is, um, you know, the FDA would, would put out a similar statement to what they did with Jafitnib, brand name Aressa. And, and interested listeners should go back to the second podcast in this series called Tales of Brave Aressa, talking about Jafitnib's approval based on phase two response rate data and then subsequent removal from the market when the phase three study did not show benefit. Uh, so what happened here? Uh, so we had a drug... Um, approved based on phase two data looked good so why did the phase three study not show any clinical benefit well that's what i want to get into uh so the phase two study was published uh in lancet oncology in 2016 by tap and colleagues tap and this was uh olertamab plus doxorubicin compared to doxorubicin alone the doxorubicin dose uh, 75 milligrams per meter squared iv on day one every 21 days uh, or that same doxorubicin dose plus alertimab, 15 mg per kg, day one, day eight of a 21-day cycle. Um, now, I'll note that in the announced study that didn't show clinical benefit, they actually gave a higher dose of alertimab. Uh, they actually did a loading dose in cycle one where they got 20 mg per kg on days one and eight. And why'd they do that? Why'd they, if the phase two data was so great, why'd they even give a higher dose in the confirmatory study? And we'll talk about that later. So let's look at this phase two study. What was so great about a phase two study that got Olera accelerated approval? Uh, well, the overall response rate was 12% in the doxorubicin group versus 18% uh, 
for the Doxo Plus uh, Olera group. Now this is 130 patients total, like 66, 67 in each group, so fairly small study, but you know, within the phase two standards. Uh, the median progression-free survival was 4.1 months with Doxorbicin versus 6.6 .6 months with Olera. So a two-month improvement, fairly sizable improvement in PFS percentage-wise, talking going from 4.1 to 6.6 .6 months. The median overall survival was 14.7 months with doxorbicin compared to 26.5 months in the Olera group. That's a full added year of median overall survival benefit when there's a small difference, <clears throat> a 50% improvement, say, in overall response rate and uh, you know not quite that in median progression-free survival. <clears throat> Why is this surprising? Well, this is a whopping overall survival benefit, especially for a phase two study. Um, but usually the trend is not this. In this phase two study, the overall survival benefit is of a larger magnitude than the PFS benefit and of the response rate benefit. It's oftentimes the reverse, at least with PFS. Uh, there are a lot of drugs that have been shown to have PFS benefit in a disease state, but no overall survival benefit. So this one's kind of backwards and there's such a big overall survival benefit. Whenever you see that discordance between response rate PFS and overall survival, that should raise some questions. So some of the things that could have been happened here. One, this is just chance. It's a phase two study. It's small. We're just on the tail end of, of the curve here. Uh, two, maybe the Olera dose was too small. You know, why'd they decide to do a new loading dose in the phase three study? Maybe it's just a bad drug. Maybe it's just a bad drug for this disease state. You know, soft tissue sarcoma is not ah disease. It's not a single disease. It's a whole bunch of diseases, and we'll talk about that later. Um, and really soft tissue sarcoma is, is a hodgepodge of, you know, tumors that kind of come from the same origin but can be vastly different based on where they present as well as the genetic makeup of those tumors. Uh, four, was the control arm wrong? Was it, you know, a bad control arm in some way? Uh, and then five, when you see, you know, more than half these folks are progressing within seven months, Right. Even the median PFS was 6.6 .6 months in the Olera arm. And yet they, despite progressing, you know, many of them two to three months later, lived a year longer in some cases. Makes you wonder what was the second and third line treatment and were there differences between the groups with regards to that. So first let's talk about uh, soft tissue sarcoma. Uh, this is a heterogeneous disease and uh, the, the World Health Organization has classified this into multiple types. And uh, just listen at how long I'm going to talk now. It's great podcasting. Uh, uh, adipocytic tumors. There are six types of that. Fibroblastic, microfibroblastic tumors, ten types. So-called fibrohistiocytic tumor, one type. It's like a TV show name. Uh, smooth muscle, that's the leiomyosarcoma, one type. Perivascular, one type. Skeletal muscle, four types. Vascular tumors, four types. Chondroosseous tumor, one type. Just, just the one type. Uh, nerve sheath tumor, four types. And then there's other Two more classes with 15 types combined. That's a total of 47 subtypes of soft tissue sarcoma. Just as different in that we know there's a specific mutation in kit that we can target with imatinib and other TKIs. So this is just a hodgepodge disease state. And if you look at any soft tissue sarcoma study, if you look in the baseline demographics, you'll see all these, these weird tumors that, you know, I've never heard of, like peripheral nerve sheath tumor. I've seen one of those, but some of those are in these studies and it's treated the same as a liposarcoma, uh, potentially, or, uh, you know, 
any of these other soft tissue sarcomas, we, we treat them as the same because they're so rare we have no other way to group them uh, any smarter, unfortunately. So it's a tough disease to study and therefore it makes it a tough disease to treat in many cases. Um, so let's just do, do a, a little backup and talk about doxorubicin as a comparator here. Um, so it's, we'll see it's a fair comparator. And if we go to Judson uh, and colleagues writing uh, in 2014 in Lancet Oncology, they looked at doxorubicin versus AIM, which is A is adriamycin, doxorubicin, ifosmide, and then mesna. Um, so the dose they used in that study was the same 75 milligrams per meter squared IV either as a bolus or 72-hour infusion. For six cycles, that gets you up to 500 milligrams per meter squared of doxorubicin versus AIM, which is the same dose of doxorubicin plus ifosmide, uh, a cumulative dose of, uh, I think, 10 grams per meter squared. Uh, now, so six cycles of doxorubicin, IV bolus or infusion, and I could not find in that study how many had bolus or infusion, but potentially it could make a difference. Uh, the bolus, would you would expect to have more myelosuppression, Perhaps the infusion is, is maybe better because you're going to get more of the topoisomerase 2 inhibition effect as a cell cycle specific activity by giving the drug over a longer period of time. Uh, in any event, single agent doxorubicin versus AIM showed no change in overall survival. There was a moderate progression free survival benefit, but the response rate was almost twice as high in the AIM group, 26.4% versus 13.6% with single-agent doxorubicin. This is typically what you would see uh, in, in a lot of chemo regimens. You'll see a difference in response rate, and since progression and response are both oftentimes looked at imaging results, there's a correlation. So there's a PFS benefit, but no overall survival benefit, unfortunately. So doxorubicin by itself, yeah, it's a fair comparator in this study. Uh, AIM is more active if you look at response rate, but that doesn't translate to overall survival. Uh, so uh, yeah, doxorubicin's okay. Now, um, in the Olera study, they did eight cycles of doxorubicin, and after four cycles, patients could receive dexrazoxane, and I believe that even is in the, the PI for Olera, is cycles five through eight, you add dexrazoxane. Uh, so after you reach that lifetime dose of 350 milligrams per meter squared with Olera and doxorubicin, you add dexrazoxane, which is a, uh, a chelating agent. It's a bad topoisomerase 2 inhibitor, and it can minimize and help prevent the cardiotoxicity for doxorubicin, which is a good reason to use it. However, we also know from data from metastatic breast cancer patients that adding dexrazoxane to doxorubicin decreases the response rate of doxorubicin. Part of the way that doxorubicin works is ca causing free radical production, and if dexrazoxane as a free radical scavenger prevents that uh, element of the uh, effectiveness and of the activity of doxorubicin, it's conceivable that it blunts the effectiveness of doxorubicin. Um, so perhaps the dexrazoxane uh, blunted any positive benefit patients in the single agent doxorubicin arm would have received. Of course, they would have received that in the Olera arm as well, but they had that second drug in the Olera tumumab arm. Um, let's look at the how many doses they got of doxorubicin. In the uh, Olera group, 48% of patients got all cycles of doxorubicin compared to only 26.5% in the doxorubicin arm. And we know that mo the most common reason for stopping treatment was early progression. Now, the median number of doxorubicin doses was seven, so most people got all eight doses of Olera and doxorubicin versus just four doses uh, of doxorubicin was the median. So 
certainly the patients in the doc service arm got less treatment, um, which makes you then think about what happened after progression. Um, now, the study did allow for patients in the single-agent doc service arm to go on to receive olerotumab. That didn't seem to happen, and they don't explicitly say it in the article. But if you look at this supplement in this paper from 2016, they do say what the post-progression uh, treatments were. So 9% uh, of the patients in the doxorubicin arm after progression got doxorubicin, compared to 1.5% in the layer and doxorubicin arm. Um, the, the largest post-treatment regimen given was gemcitabine and docetaxel, which was given to 21% in the Olera group versus only 10% in the doxorubicin group. About 12% each group got ifosfamide. And then in the Olera group, 12% uh, got, quote, investigational agent, compared to only 3% in the doxorubicin single agent group, which makes you think that after the doxorubicin folks progressed, they did not get a layer 2 map at the same, you know, hardly at all. Seems, which which maybe accounts for that big difference in overall survival. Not that Alera improves overall survival uh, with doxorubicin up front, but maybe in a, in a second line setting it has some benefit, although the drug wasn't studied there uh, in getting this, this indication. Uh, you know, a, another thing maybe is the Alera dose is, is too low. And there's some hints of this just in the press release in that uh, they increased the dose of Alertimab in the phase three announced study by giving a 20 mg per kg on days one and eight instead of 50 mg per kg days one through eight of all cycles. Um, so there's a phase one study in all, t all tumor types of Olera. And based on that analysis, the recommended phase two dose was 15, or sorry, was 16 mg per kg weekly or 20 mg per kg every two weeks. Well, 15 mg per kg days one and eight of a 21 day cycle is, is neither of those. Uh, and the phase two study that got this drug approved did have some, you know, pharmacokinetic analyses um, showing that the, the trough concentrations uh, were well below the goal set forth in the phase one study, which is 155 micrograms per mil. Uh, furthermore, quote, exposure response analyses suggested that patients in the upper quartiles of Olera exposure showed greater improvement in PFS and overall survival. Uh, so if you look at the top quarter, second quarter, third quarter, or fourth quarter of Olair exposure, those at the first and second tended to do better over those in the third and fourth as it goes down. Now, these differences were not statistically significant, but if you take 130 patients and break them up into four groups, you probably won't find a whole lot of difference unless it's really, really big. But it does suggest that maybe there was not enough Olaritumab uh, given to take advantage of its effectiveness. Well, why not just increase the dose? Well, the combination of Alera and doxorubicin was pretty darn toxic. Compared to doxorubicin alone, there was more mucositis, more vomiting, more neutropenia, uh, more febrile neutropenia, basically more of all the chemo side effects, which makes you think, uh, if we increase the dose, probably, maybe it's more effective, but we're gonna get more people stopping because of toxicity or even dying from toxicity. Which, which leads us to make, you know, Alera just doesn't seem like that great of a drug, uh, unfortunately. Which is sad for soft tissue sarcoma. Uh, it is, uh, as I mentioned, a difficult disease to study. So that's kind of the story of Alera, how it got to market. And, uh, you know, I would guess, I don't often, you know, like to guess on a podcast, but I would guess it'll be removed from the market based on that uh, with, the, with the contingency that patients receiving the drug and deriving benefit from it can continue to do so. Um, 
I also want to give a, a shout out to a podcast I've discovered in the last couple of weeks, and that's Plenary Session. Uh, it's a MPHMD oncologist at Oregon State. Uh, he does a great job in topics like this uh, with great critiques on FDA approval practices, and I'm quite sure there'll be a podcast about this. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm at FarmDeetNib, uh, and the podcast is at OncoFarmPod. The podcast follows one other uh, uh, person, and that's the, the Plenary Session podcast. So check that out, listen to it, but also keep listening to this one. Uh, and you can also follow the podcast on Instagram at OncoFarmPod. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, if you've got some time, give us a, a five-star uh, rating. Uh, give us a nice review uh, on iTunes. You can also find the podcast in the Google Play Store as well now in the last week on Stitcher. So we're on all the, all the nice platforms that you would want to listen to this podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope to see you all a little further down the road. Oh, hey guys, I'm back. Uh, it's a low-budget operation here, and uh, I sadly failed to mention how Alertimab works. It's uh, medical antibody, it blocks uh, platelet-derived growth factor alpha. And uh, one thing that I should have said when I mentioned, say, the allusion to uh, Jafitnib's uh, entree into the market, and then our entree onto the market, and then uh, removal, is eventually we figured out there's a subset of patients, and only that subset, those with mutated EGFR, who benefit from Jafitnib. So it's possible there's a subset of patients who have yet to identify who would derive benefit from uh, Olera. But as of yet, I don't know who those folks would be. Thank you.